Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. The race is on, and Red Bull became the final team to reveal its true 2022 challenger, but not until the first day of pre-season testing in Barcelona. It's an impressive car, but is it the car everyone has to beat? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to answer that question and many more is Gary Anderson. Well, Gary, we are at the circuit, or I should say just outside, so you may be able to hear a few car noises in the background. The Red Bull does look good. We're not going to talk about testing itself until our first daily testing podcast episode, but yeah, the Red Bull really impressed you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, obviously, they kept it undercover as long as they could. Um, they didn't want to show their, their true car until the last minute, and you can see why. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of detail on it that really is different from the other cars now but being different doesn't necessarily mean it's it's better or faster or anything like that but it is different and it will mean that if some of the trends they've got is um performance wise turns out to be better then it will be quite tough for some of the other teams to actually buy into that uh, that concept so interesting uh, the, mo- the, the thing for me is the variation in all the cars really from from every team it's uh, it's incredible that they can do these this blind build from uh, not seeing other cars uh, to a new set of regulations, and we've got such a good variation on a car that we all thought was very, uh, very defined by the regulations. So, uh, interesting to see who comes out on top. Yeah, a few teams uh, slightly surprised by how much variation there is as well. So, let's see if that converges over time. But the starting point we have to pick for the Red Bull that massively aggressive undercut on the front of the side pod gives it a very distinctive kind of double decker feel with the, the top of the side pod and the and the floor very much distinct it's like an even more extreme version of what we saw from Aston Martin in that regard yeah it is I mean Aston Martin they they continue the undercut down the side of the car so in in effect they they don't work the front corner of the underfloor as hard as they could Um, on a lot of the cars including the Ferrari there's a a fairly blunt area there um, so that the airflow is turned out a bit like the barge board used to do turning that airflow out across the front sort of corner of the floor and uh, generating downforce in that front corner of the floor in its own right. But Red Bull have taken that to a new extreme. I mean, it's uh, it's got a massive undercut. So the the volume of air that's going through that undercut over the over the top surface of the floor and there's a bit of a turn up at the end of the at the end of that part which is on the edge of the floor as such helping to pull the airflow out from underneath the car is is quite dramatic. Um, so if that's a good thing to have, Red Bull have got more of it than anybody else. I think it probably is a reasonable thing to have, but we have to be a little bit careful because we've been hearing quite a lot of reports of, of uh, 
cars and drivers complaining about porpoising where the front of the car starts bouncing because of the, the uh, airflow separation problems. Um, and that can come from the underfloor. It can be uh, instigated by the front wing. So the harder you work that area, the more chance there is of that problem arising. Um, haven't heard if Red Bull have got the problem yet, but I'm going to go out on the track tomorrow and have a, a bit better look to see if I can spot it anywhere. Yeah, and interesting to hear that our colleague Mark Hughes, who we'll hear from later in one of our testing podcasts, said Max Verstappen was driving a little bit more like Alan Prost, really smoothing everything down, perhaps to keep things more stable. But that, that side pod is interesting because you've got that front bit and then the, the kind of second half of the side pod is almost the other concept, isn't it? You've got the downwash element. So it's very much a best of both worlds for Red Bull there, isn't it? It is the best of both worlds. Although, you know, in the past, I suppose you might call it, they, they've always uh, had a very sort of cling film wrapped um, side pod or radiator cooling package underneath the side pod so they've always tight, tightened that area of bodywork up as dramatically as possible they brought airflow around the side they brought it down over the top of the the, uh, the side pod um, it, it's not as dramatic in that area as it has been in the past so in other words the coke bottle looks a bit less open but the, with the way the, 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 the rear beam wing works and the rear diffuser works together it's pulling a lot of air through that coke bottle area so if you can actually get that to pull the airflow off the front tyre or the air that's being displaced off the, off the rear tyre, sorry, if you can get that, that area to pull the airflow off the rear tyre face inside the car, then you've got quite a lot of high-energy airflow going around there that uh, you could normally waste um, by having a very sympathetic to the airflow side pod arrangement. So again, I think the cars have separated themselves a little bit down the sort of rollover bar area as to what you want to do with the front of the car and what you want to do with the back of the car. So it's a, it's a new learning curve for everybody, uh, including me. And also at the back of the car, there's another quite extreme design, the beam wing. Now, the beam wing's back this year. It was outlawed in 2014 as part of those regs. It's a two-part beam wing for everyone. But you use the phrase double diffuser to describe it, not in the brawn sense, but in the sense of it's effectively trying to make more diffuser in, some, in simple terms. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is a two-element um component um, and it's there basically to to help with the diffuser I mean the objective of these regulations was to, to generate underbody downforce um, but still be practical about the size of the of the rear end of the diffuser and to get that to work well the the beam wing was put in position to to help the the uh, the diffuser function better but it also helps the upper wing function better so the reality of it is that they wanted to turn the weight of the back of the car higher so there was a, the following car didn't get caught up in the turbulence so dramatically. So I need to have a powerful rear end, a powerful turning moment in the airflow there. Now, most teams have a fairly simple double element uh, rear beam wing. You know, it's, it's got a fairly aggressive flap arrangement on a, on a normal leading edge flap, norm, normal leading edge main plane. Um, but on the Red Bull, they've, they've taken that to the extreme and they've got actually their... The forward element does sweep up as a, as a huge one-piece wing as such. And the, the what you call it classifies the second element, it's a bit further forward. So it still works all together as a unit, but you could say that instead of having an upper wing, a beam wing and a diffuser, they've got uh, an upper wing, uh, a beam wing, a turning vane for the diffuser and the diffuser. So they've got sort of another piece in there, a bigger piece. That in itself is not the end of the world for some other teams to to buy into um, because it, you know, it's a, it's a bolt-on part really I suppose you might call it but it does affect how the rest of the car works and as I say you need to be very careful that if you've got a peaky downforce from the underfloor and you work it harder by these components either making the diffuser work harder 
or scavenging out the front corner of the side pod, you could end up with more porpoising problems. And I, and I think we will see more porpoising problems with these cars than we've had in the past for quite a long time. Yeah, that's certainly starting to be a, a talking point. But yeah, if you look at the rear shots of the Red Bull, it's very pronounced, the shape of that beam wing. And we see other teams seem to be going a little bit that way, but this is, yeah, another step uh, as well. But it does look like Red Bull has pulled out all the stops. And if you look at the front of the uh, the floor as well, obviously the all-important entries into the, into the Venturi tunnels, it looks like they're really just trying to push that as far as possible, aren't they? Get it working at the front, get as much air as you can, get the vortices running, through it, pull it through with the diffuser and the the assistance of the beam wing for that. So they've really gone for it, haven't they? Yeah, I think so. I don't see any, um, as I keep saying, stone left unturned. I don't see any stone left unturned. I mean, we've talked about the aerodynamic surfaces so far. Um, we haven't got to the suspension yet. But they're aerodynamically, you know, it's what really does give the car the performance. But you've got to manage that quite well. So the, they've um, they've really pushed the limits on everything, I think, that I can see. Um now, that doesn't, as I say, said earlier, that doesn't make it a faster car. It means that they've exploited things to a further maximum, I suppose you might call it. And if downforce equates to lap time, then it should equate to lap time, and that will be a result for them. But if we, if we do look at the suspension, I mean, the front suspension is, is very different to what we've seen on all the other cars other than the uh, Alfa Romeo. It's got a very strange geometry um, where the top wishbone rear leg mounting on the chassis is much much lower than the forward leg mounting on the chassis so in effect it's an, it's increasing the caster as the car goes nearer to the ground um the the track rod uh is down in front of the lower wishbone um so they've tried to get the outer point of the top wishbone as high as possible into the into the wheel which didn't leave room for the the steering arm that connects to the track rod because the the rim's round so as you go further forward you, you need to go downwards and they didn't want to put that into the airstream so they really pushed hard there to try to minimise the, the blockage with the wishbones but but also they've done something very strange on the on the geometry and I, I can only assume it's to try to overcome this uh, regulation that now limits the amount of you can change the front ride height with steering lock in the past you could drop the front ride height with steering lock and most teams were doing that Red Bull probably to, probably to the extreme and I'm not quite sure whether through the geometry they have and the increasing caster as the car goes nearer to the ground, whether or not you can actually, in theory, jack the car up, not jack it up so much, but stop it going down as much, I suppose you might call it, which means you can run a more consistent front ride height, which should help in the lower speed corners to just the understeer. But again, it's, it's, it's quite different from what I've seen in the past, um, and I'm still trying to get my head around it, but it's definitely... It's definitely something that they believe in, and, and it will be very difficult for other teams that haven't gone that route to, to, to adopt because you have to have stiff points in the chassis for all the pickup points and that, and that's not that's not an overnight task to do it. They've also gone to a pull rod suspension. I think that's a, a small part of the of the uh, the package. To be honest, I don't think it really matters too much push rod or pull rod. The pull rod will offer less blockage because it's a smaller section than the push rod. So. Again, the same reasoning is get get the stuff that's blocking the front wing out of the way and uh, and let the uh, leading edge of the side pod see decent airflow and decent mass flow so you can then try to manage it. You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 car reveal series. Aramco continuously pushed the limits of engineering. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions enhance performance, 
and drive ongoing human-led progress. Aramco, powered by Howe. And if we look towards the rear of the car, they've also gone the other way with the rear suspension. It's a pushrod. We've seen that from McLaren as well. Alfa Romeo has the pushrod at the rear and obviously Alfa Tauri. Their launch car actually looked like it was pull rod at the rear, but it's definitely pushrod. They share the Red Bull gearbox and, and rear suspension. What do you make of Red Bull's decision to go pushrod at the rear? Well, I think it was, you know, it was mainly a packaging exercise because these, these cars now, the, the wheelbase length is 3.6 metres before the cars were getting on 3.8 metres. Um, so there was a, a, a bit there, you know, a length that was actually could be used and that down at the front of the, at the, front of the gearbox, at the back of the engine as such, between the two, there was a space there for the pull rod and the rockers over the last few years. But now the way the, the downforce is generated on the underfloor, the centre of pressure has changed a little bit, the, the weight distribution has changed a little bit. I think most teams have uh, closed up the, the, the sort of rear axle to the back of the engine. Um, and so that meant that the space disappeared down in there. So they've, they've moved the internal suspension componentry up higher into the, the, the package where there's a gap at the back of the engine. Um, I'm not a great fan of it, to be honest, because I think the pull rod suspension was probably, the, again, like the front, the least blockage. But if you can't package it well down in that area, then you have to put it somewhere. There is no big difference in it to be honest it's like the front there's no massive difference in it it's small detail stuff but you know they believe in it as do as do uh, McLaren so um, you know they, they've gone the way they've they've researched and, and felt there was the right way to do so we can only assume that it's it's not a negative um, but it might not necessarily be a positive and it's a great example of the variation in car designs because we're seeing different combinations of push and pull rod front and rear even within the Red Bull family Alpha Tauri have got a pushrod front suspension. They do all their own front suspension, so they're not following Red Bull there. So, yeah, we are seeing that that variation, which is, I guess, what we want to see, particularly when it's something that's so visible as push versus pull rod. Yeah, I mean, it's, as I say, it's, it's lovely to see it, and it was the last thing I think anybody, including the teams, expected to see such a variation because the rules were, you know, felt that they were very prescriptive. But if you if you take it front to back, there's there's very few cars the same now. And, and actually, the cars look look good. You know, they they actually look like racing cars. They all blend together somewhere along the line. You know, the, the, the front wing to the nose, the nose to the chassis. There's none of these huge steps that look so ugly for years with the high wings or whatever. It looks like a racing car. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're going quick enough. There's no big problems with them. Uh, Reliability-wise, it all looks pretty good. The guys have been running around, around and around today all day. And so I'm really looking forward to it. I mean... The chips are by no means down, and we will see developments for the test in Bahrain, and we will see developments for the first race in Bahrain. Um, but this is only a starting point, and every team will be trying to make sure the car, the car performance correlates with their predicted performance. And if not, they have to ask the question why before they can sort of set their development plan in in place. And uh, that's what this test is really about. But. As I always say, you can't hold a quick car back, you know. It usually shows its head somewhere along the line of three days, so that's the interesting thing for me is just to keep an eye on and who pops up every now and again and uh, who seems to be the most consistent doing the, the fastest average lap time as opposed to the, the one-off specials uh, during happy hour. And the great thing for Red Bull as well, although they did struggle a bit with their shakedown on the filming day, they only got the car running at about four o'clock at, at Silverstone. They were the first to rack up 100 laps today with Verstappen, so they're running reliably, running well. The car hopefully is doing what they, they think it should be doing. So 
although we won't know until we get the performance running, all in all, this does look like a a good package. It's certainly an aggressive Adrian Newey kind of style package, isn't it? He's really gone for it to really build on the, the the key areas in the in the regulations where you can make performance gains. That's what I always say about Adrian Newey. One of his areas of genius is knowing which are the areas to optimise. There's lots of different ways to achieve performance, but he's great at coming up with that equation to say, well, we'll do this, 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 and this, this to this extent. That's that compromise to get the best net performance. Yeah, and it, you know, it isn't always provable initially with, with uh, wind tunnel data. It's about a belief in a, in a certain direction. And he's, he's got that. He doesn't have to prove it every day before he actually um, commits to it. But the way, if, if I was Adrian, the way I'd look at that uh, shakedown test is, you know, the track stays open to five o'clock. If you're, if you're out there running by 4.50 to do a shakedown, you're there on time. You've done a good job because you want to maximize the time you have to design and manufacture, well, design the components and minimize the time you have to manufacture them. And that means things will be late. So to get out and run at all on the day they'd planned the shakedown is, is fantastic. To get to uh, to um, the track here in Barcelona, be one of the first cars out of the pit lane and, you know, rock up with uh, as many laps as they've done. I don't think anybody can complain too much. Yeah, well, it's certainly working from a reliability perspective. Let's see how it works from a performance perspective as time goes on. We should briefly mention the Alfa Romeo C42. We have talked about that on a previous podcast based on those shakedown pictures now we've seen a little bit more of the car you talked about the suspension the front suspension in terms of trying to achieve the uh, the right height variation with uh, with the caster what else grabbed your attention about that car well yeah just the first the front suspension for first thing is obviously from the same sort of geometry family i suppose as the, as the red bull they they still have a push rod operated inboard suspension and, and uh, red bull have got a pull rod so that negates the, the fact that you can manage the way the pull rod or push rod is onto the upright and move the front right height relative. So it's, it's something to do with the geometry of the wishbones themselves, which is a good pointer. Um, as far as the side pod leading edge and, and uh, the side pod itself is concerned, I think um, it's a bit more towards the family of the Aston Martin, where it's got the undercut all the way through the side of the car. Um, it's very difficult to see it decently because of the camouflage paintwork they've got you know so it, it does break it up and it is it is difficult to detail it in your mind um but it looks a sensible solution they've um they've also you know they run a a front wing that's got the leading edge uh slot gap between the first element and the second element all the way across it they don't run a very highly loaded front wing but that's been their trend over quite a few years now and um i think they'll change in that i think they will run a higher loaded front end um, mainly in the area just inside the front tyres. I don't think you want to load it up too much on the inboard end, um, and obviously you can't at the outboard end because of the way the regulations were written, but I think you'll find them changing the flat profile a little bit um, out near the sort of front brake ductish area because that's an area where that airflow, you can affect it, and it goes around the inside of the wheel and out the side of the car sort of um, managed by the, the outside barge board as such with outside turning vein that's on the side pod so you can afford to abuse the airflow there a little bit without paying a price on the underfloor area um, but again it's a, it's a starting point for them it's a, you know, it's a good looks a decent car not sure about performance I think we, with a small team I think you have to give it a couple of three days because they don't come as well prepared as some of the bigger teams so it takes a little bit more circuit work before they can get on top of it all so let's, let's wait a couple of days to see where they end up at yeah, they had a few small parts go awry in the morning and it just takes time to fix them, so we'll see how they get on there. But it is interesting that they've gone push rod at the rear. 
Now, they use Ferrari gearbox, yet they've gone to push rod at the rear when Ferrari's pull rod. But you can achieve that, can't you, by taking the internals from Ferrari and then building your own gearbox casing. So Alfa Romeo, they will really have wanted to go to the push rod rear suspension for, for reasons to go to all that effort because they could easily have just bolted on the, the Ferrari gearbox. Yeah, I mean, I think they're quite keen to to be in control of their own destiny as far as suspension geometry and whatever's concerned, and that includes the, the, the push rod or, or pull rod or, um, arrangement. When we talk about using Ferrari's gearbox, there is, uh, there's, a, there's a main outer casing of these gearboxes, which is, is on most cars, I believe, is carbon fibre. There's a, a couple might be titanium forgings. Um, but the internal uh, gearbox cassette as such is, is, is within its own sort of internal housing, I suppose you might call it. So it's a, a small package of the gears and, and a housing inside a big package of the main case of the gearbox. So it allows them to take that bit but not take the other part. So, yeah, they, they felt enough about it and went for the, the pushrod rear end. Um, for sure, a pushrod rear end is, is simpler to, to, to package. For sure, it's easier to get to to, to do setup um, changes or refinements. Um, when it's all mounted down inside the gearbox, there's a bit of a, a black hole down there because you know you can't get to it without taking the gear. You can't get to it in detail without taking the gearbox off. You can obviously change the, the torsion bars, which are the springing arrangement that holds the car up, but you couldn't do much more than that. So the, the pull rod suspension is one of those things where you need to get it right when you show up at the track because it will be a big, a big amount of time lost if you have to stop and take the gearbox off and change something dramatic. So the pushrod suspension, for sure, there's a, there's a bit more opportunity to try different setup solutions, and, and maybe that's why, you know. Again, it's, it's, you have to work on these cars, so some people decide in one direction and tie themselves in pretty tightly to stuff. Others go in a different direction and give themselves opportunity. So it's uh, nothing is black and white, and nothing is, is the magic bullet. You know, it will take everything just focusing and pulling together to get it all to work as one um, and we won't see that for a, for a little while but just great to see but just great to see that variety and i think we're going to continue to see that variety throughout the season even though in some aspects the cars will converge well thanks very much gary anderson for your insight head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen lots to read there including gary's in-depth technical analysis of the red bull rb18 and the alfa romeo c42 check out our youtube channel as well lots of video analysis of the cars there and also check out our sister podcasts including bring back v10s as mentioned we're going to be doing daily testing podcast day one of that will be coming up very very shortly so join us then for everything you need to know about pre-season testing thanks for listening to the aramco 2022 f1 car reveal series